Welcome to Florida. That is the voice of New York Times bestselling author and award-winning environmental reporter Craig Pittman. My name is Chad Scott, and this is Welcome to Florida, where it has often been said by many people, the most dangerous time of the year in Florida is when the <laughs> legislature is in session, and that leads into Craig's most recent column from the Florida Phoenix. Yeah, definitely. When the legislature's in session, board up your windows like it's like it's hurricane season. Uh, I wrote about the uh, the president of the Senate, Wilton Simpson, who uh, is often described as an egg farmer from Trilby, which is sort of like saying, you know, McDonald's is a burger joint. Uh, you know, <laughs> he, he, he runs this massive uh, uh, chicken and egg population, a chicken and egg operation mm. there. He's worth like 30 million dollars. And he's got a million chickens in 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 these coops, and he is almost literally carrying water for big sugar. And I make the point of, you know, he's he is a he is an agribusiness, and big sugar is yep. an agribusiness. Yep. So they speak each other's language, and they have been rewarding him handsomely with campaign contributions. And he sort of produced this legislation right in the middle of the legislative session, instead of at the beginning when people could mm -hmm. look at it. That really kind of guarantees big sugar will continue getting first pick on the water supply whenever there's a drought which is a is not fair to the everglades and to the nine million people who live around mm -hmm. that area but is sort of an indication of how he's going to be if he gets elected state agriculture commissioner which is the job he's running for now. right there's a, a lot to work with here you're talking about water coming out of lake okeechobee the big big sugar agribusiness lands are hundreds of thousands of acres just south of Lake Okeechobee. Big Sugar controls the flow of that water when it comes out, where it goes to, and acts something as a, a cork to getting water to the Everglades in any kind of a natural flow. When Big Sugar says, we don't want the water that's stocked up there, that polluted water goes to either side of the state and is what causes a lot of algae outbreaks. It's that runoff, that polluted runoff that has caused a lot of the manatee die off in the Indian River Lagoon. So mm -hmm. this big sugar uh, land mass property holding and big sugar determining how water out of Lake Okeechobee gets used really connects to essentially every environmental conservation yeah. wildlife topic in, in, in South Florida, surely. And like you said, which is really surprising about this bill, this is a rabbit out of a hat. This thing came yeah. from nowhere, dark of the night, all of a sudden. And, and the you know environmental groups I, I follow in the state, Audubon, Florida, and Friends of the Everglades and those groups were uh, outraged immediately because they had almost no time to, to react to this legislation or proposed they legislation. Even, they didn't even warn the South Florida Water Management District, which is the state agency in charge of Everglades restoration. They're partners mm -hmm. with U.S. Army Corps of Engineers on this project. And even they didn't know this was coming. Uh, and Simpson has tried to style this as a, you know, sort of an uh, Florida versus the federal government. We need to make sure Florida gets its share. It's like nah. it's supposed to be an equal partnership and you're messing it up. And well, and for and we've talked about this before, billions of dollars and decades have been spent weaving this patchwork of Everglades restoration together and where water goes and uh, stormwater treatment. And this goes here in percentages and feet above mean and, and wet season, dry season, multiple agencies. And this threw something of a, a cherry bomb in that that careful network yeah. because it, it, it upends all of that work that literally 
thousands of people have spent tens of thousands of hours figuring out the best way to go about this. And, and, and this new bill that was introduced in the dark of the night uh, ruffles that altogether. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, let's let's talk about something more cheerful. Let's talk something about, more uh, cheerful. Yes, an and, environmental success story and uh, history in the making here. And welcome to Florida. Yes. Our first ever two time guest, Jack yes. Davis, joined us almost a year ago exactly with his Pulitzer Prize winning book about the Gulf of Mexico. He is back, Craig, with a brand new book. Uh, it's called The Bald Eagle: The Improbable Journey of America's Bird, which. Um, uh, it is a pretty good title because it really is an improbable story. When you know we think we know about eagles, we don't know anything about eagles. And and, and Jack is here to tell the story. Jack Davis, the book is The Bald Eagle, The Improbable Journey of America's Bird. You can find a link to purchase in the show notes. Uh, Jack, you, you rightfully won a Pulitzer Prize for your last book about the uh, history of the Gulf of Mexico. What led you to decide that your follow-up would be a book about the bald eagle? It seems like a kind of a left turn there. Well, of course, you know, bald eagles live around the Gulf of Mexico. And, <laughs> uh, you know, and when you and I were growing up in the in the Gulf region, we weren't we didn't see bald eagles. They were uh, more or less missing in action. Uh, but, you know, since the 1990s and clearly the 21st century, they've come back in force uh, and a wonderful sight to see them. I wanted to write an environmental book that would have a, a broad appeal across the political mm -hmm. spectrum. Um, so there would be a dialogue, you know, uh, across the divide. And uh, yeah. because whether you're a red, white, and blue American or tree hugger uh, um, or birder or all of those mm -hmm. things, um, mm -hmm. you, you love the bald eagle. When we see one in the sky, we, you know, it's one of those sites, you know, it's the poke, poke the guy in the ribs next to you sort of site, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And, but it's also this wonderful environmental success story. And in, in some ways it's a, story of redemption. And so I, I want to give readers a break from the, the usual grim, tragic environmental stories. And, and of course, rightfully, they've been, they, those kind of stories have written our, our environmental past um, has some horrendous moments in it, but it also has some, uh, some uplifting moments that uh, I wanted uh, uh, to share. And the bald eagles uh, story is is really it's both a tragic and a wonderful one. I like how you kind of expose some of the myths that people have about and have passed on about, you know, uh, how our founding fathers viewed the eagle. The whole story about Ben Franklin and the turkey, that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, let's not get that way. Let's make the uh, you know the, the <laughs> listeners uh, read the book, but uh, they'll probably be surprised by um, the true story behind Ben Franklin uh, right, and well, the bald well, eagle and the great seal of the United States. Yes, which is a story I didn't know until at least about the great seal and mm -hmm. his preferences, uh, and until I did this research, and that was just a wonderful and fun discovery. I'll bet. Now, the, I have to ask you about one of the villains of the piece, who is from Florida, Gilbert Pearson. Yeah. So T. Gilbert Pe Pearson was longtime early uh, president of the um, National uh, Association of the Audubon Societies, as it was called back uh, back in his day in the early 20th century. From Archer, Florida, Eagle Country, you know, a place that mm -hmm. uh, was wall to wall with longleaf pines, which is really an ideal nesting tree for bald eagles. He was no fan of the bald eagle when others uh, in the early 20th century um, were worried about the dramatic decline of the bald eagle population in the lower 48 and called for its protection. We're all, and we're all equally concerned about 
the bounty that the territory of Alaska had put on bald eagles, which ran from 1917 to 1952. And, wow. and the territory ultimately paid bounties on over 128,000 bald eagles. Oh my God. And, uh, so people were uh, coming forward and saying, we need to protect the eagle. We need to stop the bounty in Alaska. And he wouldn't do it. Uh, only until the last minute um, when Congress was cons- in 1940 was considering the Bald Eagle Protection Act did he, did he change his tune. Otherwise, he fought um, what he called the sentimentalists um, uh, who thought they were overreacting to what was happening to the bald eagle. Well, why wow. why this hostility to eagles? I mean, that it just it seems so odd now. But you know, it, yeah. it, it was a widespread belief back then that what eagles were stealing sheep and children and things things like that. <laughs> it's, exactly. <laughs> you know, the the bald eagle is a a bird, so called bird of prey or an apex predator. It was accused of all sorts of crimes, and that's how they were described: crimes against humanity. Um, oh stealing God. livestock, which, such as you mentioned, sheep and calves and pigs uh, and chickens. And of those, only a livestock that the bald eagle can can carry away is chickens. Everything else is too heavy. You know, you see these YouTube videos, these doctored YouTube videos today of eagles carrying away all sorts of things, you know, full size deer. Um, <laughs> and uh, and there were all sorts of reports of this happening. And they were completely apocryphal. And T. Gilbert Pierce one. Pearson was one of the people responsible for spreading these myths. Wow. Uh, he maintained that a bald eagle had carried away, what was it, a pig or um, a, a sheep? I can't remember. That was twice its size and carried it for five miles, which is <laughs> utter, utterly impossible. But also mothers. I'm glad, I'm glad we've gotten past the idea of people uh, embracing myths as opposed to science. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, totally. let me tell you, the science wasn't so great in that day because, I mean, I mean even Audubon said such things. And even ornithologists were, were warning mothers. This is the 19th century, of course, but it yeah. runs on into the 20th. Uh, even uh, ornithologists war- and others warn mothers, don't leave your infant unattended outside. Uh, less than eagle carried away. Oh my god! <laughs> and uh, and one of one of the most popular readers of the day for uh, immigrants trying to learn English and, and children was McGuffey's. And mm. there was a story for decades in McGuffey's about uh, an eagle carrying away a child to its nest. In the in the image, the drawing of the of of this this mm-hmm. eagle in action, mm-hmm. uh, the, the the girl being carried away is at least six, seven years old. And then one of Thomas Edison's earliest silent films, 1906 or 1908, I can't remember, titled um, Rescued from an Eagle's Nest, was that very story of, of, of an eagle snatching away a baby, left unattended outside the cabin of a, of a lumberjack and taken to the nest. And the, the father saves the eagle. And what I loved about this- Wait, you movie, mean saves the baby? Saves the baby, not the eagle. He saves he the baby. Save the eagle. Oh, yeah, he said no, it saved the eagle. No, <laughs> so he's he's in a he's in a scuffle in the nest on the cliff where the nest is located. Uh, he's in a scuffle with the eagle, and suddenly there's a great uh, early you know film effects. Uh, suddenly a club appears in his hand. It just appears <laughs> like that, and um, and he, he clubs the eagle uh, unconscious and then kicks it over the ledge, and uh, and saves his daughter. And but the the father was played by D.W. Griffith. And really, you remember who D.W. Griffith was? Yeah, 
Birth he of a Nation. The guy right? who directed yeah. the famous film on yeah. Birth of a Nation that inspired the, the second oh, incarnation yeah. of the, the Ku Klux Klan. And what I love about this, well, maybe not, is that he was panned by the critics. And so for his acting, and apparently he saw the writing on the wall and went into directing. <laughs> and then a few years later, directed The Birth of a Nation. Uh, and perhaps if he'd stayed an actor, we wouldn't have had that movie. Wow. Uh, <laughs> you, you talk about bounties on eagles and, you know, that goes beyond a hunting season. This is promoting the yeah. reckless, wanton mass slaughter of animals uh, that has occurred in this country throughout its history. Coyotes, wolves have been subject to, to similar treatment, but it snake. is yeah. snake, sure. But it is <laughs> remarkable that such a an attitude could exist for a symbol of the nation. Mm-hmm. We've got this on our money. We've got this on our flags. And yet we somehow distance it or, or, or compartmentalize it in our mind that we like the imagery, but we don't like the actual animal. How did that occur in, in the mindset of these people to think that, well, it's great that it represents us, but we don't actually want this thing around? <laughs> Well, I mean, you 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 said it exactly. In fact, the original title, the working title of the book was "Bird of Paradox." That is, you know, uh, the marketing folks didn't like it. Well, I love and, it. You can put me in that column. I mean, you're you're exactly right. I mean, the, the bald eagle is forced to live in these, as I say, these parallel universes. Uh, you know, the symbol universe in the species, the living species universe. And it was treated quite differently in, in both of those, those universes. It is one of the great ironies in American history that the bald eagle was treated like any other predator, wolves and, um, and coyotes and mountain lions. And it was hunted down. You know, it was marked for eradication. And an eagle scene was an eagle to be shot. Um, wow. And people saw it as their duty to shoot that eagle because they were protecting their neighbor's chickens. Every, you know, so many people had chickens, you know, yeah. in, in their backyards uh, uh, or, or the local farmer's livestock or the baby next door, whatever. Right. But as a, as a physical figure, it's a very striking bird, right? And it's an all American bird. Mm. It, it lives only in North America. Uh, now in eagles and heraldry or on coats of arms, um, and goes way back to the ancient, but uh, typically those eagles were uh, non-ornithological. You know, they were a non-species. They were just yeah. a generic eagle. And so it wasn't uh, unusual to choose an eagle for the Great Seal of the United States. But Charles Thompson, who did choose the eagle, who was secretary of the Continental Congress, insisted that it be uh, an American bald eagle. You know, and it's very distinctive. It has its white head and white tail. Uh, in dark body, the only bird in North America with those features. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's a large bird. It's a handsome bird. It I is. It, it, agree. it, it has this noble appearance. It it's has muscular. That, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Muscular. Exactly. Broad chest, broad shoulders. I mean, it, it's got the, exactly. the furrowed you, brow, serious expression, that, that angular mm-hmm. nose. Yeah, it, it does portray a lot of these uh, traits that Americans like to, you know, it, it, it's a badass, right? I mean, the bald yeah. eagle looks like yeah. a badass. Yeah. It's a badass yeah. bird. <laughs> it has, as I say, it has that don't tread on me stare. Yeah. Um, because of Big the uh, superorbital yeah. ridge mm-hmm. above its eyes, which is a sunscreen for them, uh, or sun visor, excuse me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but for us, it has, it gives it that look. 
yeah. um, that, uh, you know, makes it makes it fit really nicely with a young republic that's uh, uh, trying to assert its own identity separate of European powers or influences. Yeah. Uh, it's an all-American bird. And it says, you know, it's a bird that you you don't want to argue with, right? Right, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and it's a great symbol of national unity and freedom and courage. But the irony here, going back to that paradox, is that this is the bird, the bird of freedom, right, that we denied its freedom mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. until the Bald Eagle Protection Act of 1940. Yeah, I always thought it was a great symbol, not for all the reasons, uh, aesthetic reasons, so many ascribe to it, be, but because like America, it prefers to steal its food. And I thought for a, for a country founded on stolen land, what better uh, representative than an, a bird which prefers to steal its food? And, and you can see this in, in nature as the, the bald eagle tries to to take scraps of fish or, or whatever it else is is going for from, from other birds. I think that is an incredibly apropos for this nation. Or, or whole fish. And uh, I mean, that was another reason why people didn't like the, the the species is because it's a scavenger, as you said. And that's seen beneath the dignity of the country's bird, you know, the country's representative. It also has an incredibly thin call. If uh, you've yes. ever heard a bald eagle, it sounds oh, yeah. more like yeah. a well, blue wait, jay. Wait. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, t- tell tell about tell about the manufactured call on the on the yeah on the well movie, you know uh, I think the perfect example is the opening credits of the Colbert Report. The eagle flies with its wings uh, spread wide <laughs> across the TV screen, introducing the Colbert Report, and you hear this fierce cry. Uh, that's not a bald eagle. That's a red-tailed hawk mm-hmm. uh, dubbed in. <laughs> You know, it's 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 the voice stand in for the, yeah. um, the. But as I say in the book, it's quite appropriate for a show that traded on fakery, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And, but sure. that's true. I mean, Northern Exposure, the same thing. If you remember the TV show Northern Exposure? Every yeah. time they had an eagle, and I believe it was there was one in the opening credits. You know, it's a red-tailed hawk, and um, <laughs> the prop people or sound effects people, I should say, in Hollywood figured this out a long time ago. The wimpy cry of an eagle is not going, bald eagle just won't mm-hmm. work. Yeah. Uh, for, for the <laughs> it, does, it doesn't sound the way it looks. No, it, it, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. If, but, you know, that's from our point of perspective, as I yeah. write in the book from wildlife, it's, you know, it's a distinctive sound. Most wildlife hearing that, uh, it, they, it's they going to yeah, 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 exactly. But exactly. if if you ever see one in nature and pair that call up with what you're what you hear with what you see, it it is a, a complete non sequitur. You know that that little it's sweet, like a, it's it's, yeah. it's like it's like the it's like the Mike Tyson of the of the bird world. <laughs> it's good looks big and fierce, but good but point. it sounds kind of like this. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, now let me ask you about a, a guy who is clearly one of the heroes of the book and is also a Florida man, the Canadian retiree who moved to Sarasota with a mission. Tampa, Tampa, yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Charles Broly, um, who is a retired banker from um, Winnipeg at age 59 in the 1930s, just about 60 years old, retired to Florida. He's not a scientist. He's not an ornithologist. Uh, he is he is a birder and he immediately starts climbing, you know, 60, 70, 80 foot tall longleaf and loblolly pines to band eaglets. And, and nobody was doing this simply uh, systematically in those days. And uh, well, why him? Why did he do this? Why did he feel compelled to, to you know, do this thing? I, well, as a birder, 
he had obviously an interest in, in, in bird life and eagles were, are, of course, quite common in, in Canada. So he's familiar with the eagles. He knew that that the eagle population had been in decline because of uh, uh, because everything that we talked about. This is before the Bald Eagle Protection Act of 1940. And he's a retiree. He needs something to do. Right. Mm-hmm. And he did this for 20 years. Yeah, but- yeah, but most people to go out and play golf. You know? oh, oh, I know. As, as I say in the book, he did he did something that no other retiree did in Florida, and that was climb trees. And uh, and he and he did this until age seventy nine, and he climbed. He estimated eleven hundred trees and and uh, abandoned over twelve hundred eaglets. And what he did was extremely important to science um, because. Uh, science didn't know anything about the migration patterns of, of bald eagles and his Florida eagles helped get a, give us a better understanding of where uh, eagles go between breeding season. But he also helped him keep an inventory of the population. He's noticing it declining dramatically in the 1950s. And he is, as far as I can tell, the first person to make a link between the declining bald eagle population and DDT. Wow. And this before Rachel, Rachel Carson, Carson talks yeah. about him in Silent Spring. Yeah. Amazing. Um, well, you, you mentioned the, the Bald Eagle Protection Act of 1940, and then you mentioned DDT. So as perilous as the numbers were in 1940, they get much, much worse because yeah. of the, the widespread agricultural use of, of DDT through the, the 70s, right? Till 72, yeah. And it's not just agriculture. You know, it's suburban neighborhoods. And, yeah. you know, Craig, I, I, I mean, we certainly remember the, the mosquito the, truck driving down. Oh, the, yeah. The mosquito the control truck and, running and around. Noisy, with noisy fogger. truck and with the fog yes. behind it. And, uh, you know, and all the kids very, on bikes riding behind. <laughs> yes. And it <laughs> was very, very popular uh, in home use. DDT was. Mm-hmm. It was everywhere. And it was used uh, by the U.S. Uh, Forestry Service to control various. Um, you know, insect infections that would be detrimental to the um, the, the timber harvest. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's all over. Yes. And so we the best that we can tell is that in 1963, the nesting population of the 40, lower 48 states uh, dropped to a nadir, 487 My gosh. Uh, across all 48 states. Mm-hmm. Now, back during the revolution, that's the number that would be smaller for virtually any state um, in, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in the country. And, uh, and, and so it's, it, the bald eagle is on the verge of, of extinction in the lower 48. So um, Broly started sounding the alarm about this, but he, he didn't quite get the connection. He thought it was a direct, that the DDT was directly killing them. The that, that's right. That was, that's right. There was it, another it, Florida graduate student who figured out that it was the eggs, right? Yes. So what happens is DDT gets into the environment uh, and gets into the water. Fish consume uh, are infected by DDT. Uh, They absorb it into their own bodies. Fish is the primary food source of bald eagles. uh, And uh, they eat the fish and the DDT passes up the food chain. And Mm -hmm. in their body, it metabolizes to DDE, E as in Edward. uh, And that gets into the bloodstream um, and into the shell gland of, of the female. Uh, and ultimately, she ended up laying thin-shelled eggs or deformed eggs. Uh, and so that had a devastating uh, uh, impact on the reproduction of 
uh, the, the population, producing new generations. Yeah, I, I know that was a similar cause and effect with Osprey, which caused their yes. numbers to collapse as well. Were were any yeah. other California it, condor too? I think wasn't it? Oh yeah, uh, and 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 also uh, peregrine falcons. Wasn't peregrine falcons uh, also? Yeah, yeah. Okay, and uh, so in, in any any sort of fishing bird would have been affected. Um, you know, even wild rodents, you know, could could be contaminated. Listeners should know this. Uh, you do not point if you got a rat issue in your house or you know some sort of rodent issue in your house. Don't poison them because what happens is they go outside. If you care anything about wildlife, don't poison them and, because they go outside. Generally, go outside to die uh, of your home, uh, and then an owl or red-tailed hawk or even a bald eagle comes along and grabs them. Uh, and that poison, um, you know, again, works up uh, into the food chain and it can cripple or, or even kill those those mm-hmm. raptors. Yeah, yeah. All of which you, you think about osprey. I'm here on Fernandina Beach. I don't go a day without seeing an osprey. It used to be yeah. rare. Bald eagles, not as common, but I I could I know exactly where to go find one if yeah. I, I wanted to five miles from my house. Peregrine falcons, uh, again, all of these birds are widespread across the lower eight, lower 48, or at least were, and now are again, thankfully, because yeah. DDT was recognized banned, as the, yeah. the problem here and, and, and then banned. So how have the bald eagle numbers rebounded? It's still a, a special bird to see, but certainly yeah. not, uh, you know, newspaper article worthy anymore. <laughs> Boy, it's always in a newspaper but, uh, for various reasons. Let me, get, let me give Newspapers a plug are, to the Clean Water are endangered Act. Now. Yeah. <laughs> let, let, me, let me give a plug to the Clean Water Act because it's the 50th, it's 50th anniversary mm-hmm. in October. Uh, phenomenal legislation. Um, we haven't achieved the goals, but still it, it changed things. Um, if, if the clean water, without the clean water act, we probably wouldn't cleaned up, uh, places like Tampa Bay, um, bays and bayous, rivers and lakes across the country, um, uh, nearly two thirds of them were impaired by pollution by 1972 when the clean water act was passed. Um, and that, that meant, you know, the, the devastation of, a of, uh, of aquatic life and a major food source of, of bald eagles. So we could give it all the protection in the world. We could ban DDT, which also contaminated the water, of course. And, but if we hadn't cleaned up those uh, ecosystems, uh, the bald eagle population could not have rebounded as it has. Uh, it, it, it has really been spectacular. The bald eagle population in the lower 48 now is exceeds 300,000. And continent-wide probably is around 500,000. And that's equal to the estimated population size at the time of European contact. No uh, kidding. You know, the eight, wow. So the 18th century. That's quite a and, comeback. Um, and we owe that to wildlife uh, agencies in the individual states, also uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife um, that instituted in partnership, instituted restoration programs, relocating bald mm. eagles, relocating their eggs. Florida, Florida eagles donated uh, unwittingly uh, <laughs> 270 in the 80s, 275 eggs that were hatched in Oklahoma, and the birds from those eggs were relocated to the other southern states where there were no nesting eagles, such as Alabama and Mississippi, mm. um, and uh, which I think is really heroic on the part of all uh, Florida bald eagles. They didn't lose any <laughs> population because of the eggs. Both eggs were taken out of the nest mm-hmm. early on, and the female would, would lay a, 
a new clutch of eggs. And so now when you see a bald eagle, a nesting bald eagle, bald eagles will go back and when they reach maturity, will go back to their natal territory and uh, build nests. So these bald eagles, these eggs, uh, and ultimately the eagles that were relocated to say Alabama, Mississippi, imprinted on those territories. That became their oh, natal wow. territory. And so they come back. So when you see a, a nesting bald eagle in Alabama or Mississippi or Georgia or, or Louisiana, Oklahoma, uh, there's a good chance that that bald eagle is the descendant of a Florida eagle. Oh, my. Amazing. Yeah. And I love that. I just love that. I didn't know about any of this until I started writing this book. And those eggs were taken from a six county area uh, in north central Florida, where, where I live. Uh, around Marjorie Kinnan Rollins, you know, Cross Creek wow. in, in that area. It's a wonderful story. Speaking of great stories in Florida women, uh, tell us about, is it Doris Manger? Is that how you Manger, say her name? Manger, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, she was so fun to write about. And I interviewed her. <laughs> she was 93, 94 years old and still going strong when I interviewed her. Um, so Doris Manger, uh, one of her claim, one of her many claims of fame, it was in 1979, she climbed a, a loblolly pine in central Florida. Jeff Klinkenberg was there uh, <laughs> uh, covering this for the St. Pete Times, which I love. Uh, she climbed uh, this tree, this 50 uh, foot loblolly pine to live in a vacated uh, eagle's nest for six days between Flag Day and the <laughs> anniversary of um, the adoption of the Great Seal of the United States to raise awareness about the plight of the bald eagle, but also to raise money um, to fund the construction of an aviary at uh, the Florida Audubon Society, where uh, she was a vice president and had worked for many years. She started the uh, raptor rehabilitation uh, at Florida Audubon in her backyard. And, uh, and that got she got so busy that needed to create an aviary. She remained her active. advice from her dad, her advice from her dad, which was what was it epsom salt and it fixed yes yes the so first thing the hawk uh, had a bad foot and uh he you know he said uh epsom salt secure for every for everything and so she soaked that hawk's uh i think it was red tail and um in uh, uh epsom salt and healed it and released it and uh but this is one in age 60, she bikes across she biked across the u.s from the west coast to the east coast um, to raise awareness, stopping at Kmart stores who sponsored her uh, to give lectures on uh, on the uh, on the importance of uh, birds of prey, and she did this in school schools for uh, decades, traveling across the country doing this, and into into her nineties. Six days in an eagle nest, though that seems a little um, smelly, crazy. Yeah, <laughs> well, I was going to say crazy just because of the frequency of lightning in Florida. <laughs> right. Well, you know, and as, as you know from reading the book, the, when she, her maiden climb up that tree, uh, it was a stormy day. Um, mm -hmm. And she was worried about the storm and everybody else was. And of course, this, the tree was was swinging like, as I said, an old door uh, <laughs> on, on rusty hinges. But still brave of her. And this is how, how dedicated she was. I bet, you know, and again, she she clocked who knows how many hundreds of thousands of miles on the road, giving, uh, as did many others, giving lectures about um, birds of prey and taking and taking birds with her, yeah. you know, usually an owl and, a, and an eagle. Uh, I was going to ask you about one other one other guy uh, who wound up at Boyd Hill Nature Park. Yeah. In St. Petersburg. Yes. Patrick Bradley. Patrick Bradley. Um, 
is a Vietnam veteran, combat veteran, uh, who suffered horribly from PTSD and um, was sent up to the Canadian wilderness in the early 1970s to spend three years uh, working on a project to uh, to complete a census of the bald eagle population. And so he lived out in the wilderness alone for those three years. It was really his his sow. You know, it, it, it saved him from PTSD, as did the bald eagles. And so he went into, uh, he, after he left, he studied wildlife. Uh, he, uh, and throughout his career, he's, he's worked with, with raptors and, um, in various capacities. At Boyd Hill, he started a program for other veterans suffering from PTSD. Uh, he brings them out. He's no longer at Boyd Hill. Um, he's at the one in Largo now, a park in Largo. Uh, he's he's moved from there too. Oh, okay. Uh, and um, but he still has his Avian Vets Association, in which he takes veterans suffering from PTSD and matches them with a raptor, a hawk, or an wow. eagle, or an owl um, that is in rehab. As he said, I'm I'm putting wounded bird together with wounded vet. And tells them go, you know, at Boyd Hills, it, it's this wonderful nature park in the middle of the city with, uh, you know, winding trails through the jungle, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And he, he'll tell them just take a walk with this bird on their arm, and some of them will be gone an hour or two, and they'll come out, they'll come back, and they really feel a profound effect, uh, a soothing effect from being with this bird. Um, and it's it's been a wonderful cure, if you will, for for uh, veterans. And uh, I don't know how many at this point, you know, a couple of thousand veterans have walked with his birds. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. But the other thing that I love is that uh, he has brought uh, one of the birds, Sarge, who is the one on my arm in my author photo <laughs> and uh, who is, who lives at uh, McGowell park and at Largo. When I was a kid growing up in Largo, we called it Largo Narrows park. Our Sarge still lives there. And Sarge has come to two of my public events on the, uh, on my Gulf of Mexico book. And it's been <laughs> wonderful great. to have her there. And I'm going to, going to be at an event here on the April 19th pints and predators. Uh, the event was called at a local brew pub and uh, with a, another one of Patrick Bradley, Bradley's Eagles, Thunder. Um, oh, boy. Yeah. Very nice. Talk about the, the rehabilitation. And there are countless anecdotal stories of how spending time in nature or with animals can soothe the soul, so to speak. But increasingly, I'm reading more about actual academic scientific studies that report a similar linkage of people who are able to spend any amount of time. Uh, it doesn't even have to be in wild places, just outdoors yeah. among some mm-hmm. some greenery and trees yeah. and, and, and shrubs and, and the um, incredible uh, psychological benefits that has for people. Animal assisted therapy has been around a long time, but using you know chickens and horses and you know parrots and cats and dogs uh, but Patrick, is, as far as we know, is the first one who's, who's uh, conducted animal assisted therapy with, with birds of prey. Let's, that's what I like about the book is, you know, you, you, we talk about how uh, we sort of elevated the eagle. We put it on a pedestal and then we tried to kill it and then we tried to bring it back. And now it's kind of helping some of us come back as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's, I, that's really how I, I feel. The success story has is, is shown us that there is hope for the future. I think it's you know it's a it's positive reinforcement that we uh, rather than all the negativity 
that I think we need when we're, we're looking toward the future. As I say in the book, when you see a bald eagle crossing the sky, that's a, that's a pat on our backs for doing mm-hmm. right by nature. Uh, I mean, we're not perfect. No, no, no. No, don't get me wrong, <laughs> wrong. We live in Florida and we know what uh, it continues to happen here. Uh, and Look Florida is one of those paradoxes too, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. We, we have this fantastic state park system. We have, we now are working on this wildlife corridor, but some of the old habits of the past that are destructive continue uh, in the state, even as we implement, you know, progressive uh, measures. Where is your favorite place in Florida to see bald eagles? You know, I have to say, Payne's Prairie up here in in, yeah. uh, in Gainesville, you know, just a you know, five, 10 minute drive from my house has been a fantastic place. Last year, the, the, the prairies, the water's a little higher up in the prairie this year. So you can't get very far out into it like you could last year. But last year when you could, you could go out there this time of year, you could go out to Page Prairie anytime in the morning or in the evening, which is feeding time and see bald eagles fishing along with ospreys, stealing from ospreys, stealing mm-hmm. from other eagles. I had a photographer out there with me uh, Justin Bright, who one day witnessed uh, two birds, two eagles, swat, uh, in midair, in midair, you know, an aerial battle, uh, trading this fish between them five times. <laughs> wow! And uh, <laughs> fighting over it, you know. So that uh, Paints Prairie is a good place. Uh, also, right here, uh, there are about a dozen active nests around Noonan's Lake. I was recently down at um, Three Lakes. Uh, wildlife management area about 40 40 minutes or so south of Orlando. Uh, you can see some really beautifully built eagles' nests that are active as well. Uh, that's a good place. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Chazawiska National Wildlife Refuge is is another another good place. You know, sometimes it's hit or miss. Oh, St. Sure. Mark's St. Mark's uh, National Wildlife Refuge mm-hmm. has has a couple of eagles too. Yeah, but you know what? Were you guaranteed to see them? And this is sad to say, is at the local landfill. I, I did a photo shoot with Sarasota Magazine a few weeks ago at the Sarasota uh, County landfill, yeah. and you know, there, th- you know, tens of thousands of uh, of birds, gulls, and grackles, and uh, ibis, and you know, the stick-legged wading birds, mm-hmm. but also bald eagles. Yeah. Amazing. Jack Davis, The Bald Eagle, The Improbable Journey of America's Bird by Incredible Coincidence. It publishes the very day this episode is going to publish. So congratulations. And uh, we look forward to reading this one for sure. And uh, and don't forget about the event on the Tom Baller Books event on uh, March 5th at the Palladium uh, with Colette Bancroft. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> Who's also been a guest. Uh, uh, what yeah. are, you, are you working on another one yet? I haven't delved into it, but I've conceptualized another one. And um, surprise, surprise, it's a history of environmental successes. Oh, good. So it's a short book. <laughs> <laughs> Craig has spoken like a man on the front lines. <laughs> Thanks for your time, Jack. Hey, Thanks, always Jack. a pleasure, guys. Thanks for having right. me. Certainly, Craig, the numbers for bald eagles are vastly improved, but it's still a, a yeah. special, special thing to see. It is absolutely the, the, you know, I have been, you know, camping and canoeing and stuff like that for years. The first one I saw was, uh, on a float trip along the rainbow river with the, with my kids boy scout, uh, mm-hmm. troop. And we saw, we saw a couple of eagles soaring over, which was very exciting. 
And then I kind of ruined the ride by almost running over a family of otters. <laughs> with my, with my Fortunately, they got out of the way in time. So. Yeah. Well, it is it is a bird that is distributed through most, if not all, of the lower 48 states. And of course, Alaska has the largest population. Right. It does eat primarily fish. So all of the coastline in Alaska and the salmon runs and all of that is perfect for it. But, you know, I'm I'm 46. So, you know, my formative years are in the 80s. And this is you know, not long after DDT had been banned, not long after right. the Clean Water Act, it, it, it's hard for me to get across to to people, and, and you'll certainly understand this, but oh, at yeah. that time, how incredibly rare it was to see a bald eagle, something we kind of take for granted, particularly in Florida now. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, we it, he's right. This is an environmental success story, and I'm glad that he's telling it. Mm-hmm. And it's such a, a, a rich way so that people will really get the full flavor of it. Yeah. So, and, um, yeah. One of those other great success stories, too, is the alligator. Yeah. I don't think people yes. recognize at one time how uh, low alligator populations got oh, yeah. because of hunting. Well, it's, it's funny. I, I did a story a few years ago about there had been a scientific study of how people get bitten by alligators. And, and it won't surprise you any that the majority mm-hmm. of people the majority of florida men in florida getting bitten by alligators are guys going out to try and collect golf balls from pension <laughs> ponds but um, um but i asked the the guy in charge of the survey i said well what, how does this compare historically he said well historically there weren't any alligator bites because there weren't any alligators they 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 you know mm-hmm. people weren't getting bitten by alligators because they just didn't see them the alligators were nearly extinct so yeah, yeah. they're a big success story welcome to florida welcome to florida And stay out of the retention pond.